Hello, and welcome to Start By Listening, the podcast about sexual harm. We are centered on educating and empowering our Western Kentucky communities. Our goal is to transform the way we talk about sexual harm. Transformation begins by listening to understand. We talk so you can listen today and change the world tomorrow. Hey there, everyone. It's Jennifer, a.k.a. The Friendly Therapist, coming to you from my home. You might be thinking, hmm, why is she recording a podcast from her home? That's kind of weird. Isn't there like a studio somewhere where she can sit and be in a soundproof booth and just be able to be one with her thoughts? Yeah, that would be really cool if that was the case. However, there's this, you know, big thing going on right now called the pandemic. And because of this pandemic, I've been working from home a lot. And so my home office has now become my therapy room where I do therapy with my clients via telehealth while maintaining privacy through use of sound machine outside my closed door. Um, This room has also become now the podcasting room where I'll be recording my episodes for Start By Listening. And I'm so glad to have you here with me today. And if this is your second time tuning in, then that means you must have listened to our first podcast where Terry and I interviewed each other. She's my coworker and my main partner in crime with this podcast. Um, She's going to be doing her own thing, and I'm going to be doing my own thing on the same platform. Terry's going to be doing legal stuff and true crime and the history of the justice system. And I'm going to really be focusing more on therapy stuff and feel-good stuff, and education, and learning all about trauma, and how our body adapts to trauma, how it responds to trauma, different healing modalities that help people really heal from traumatic events that have happened to them. So that's what I'm going to focus on this season. And I'll go ahead and put the little disclaimer in there. You might hear a dog barking. Um, You might hear somebody knocking on the front door. Um, You might hear anything because, you know, I'm working from home and this is definitely not a soundproof booth. So with all that being said, let's dive in and get started. Trauma. You know, when I think about my history of how I got to where I am today, how I got to be a trauma therapist. Um, It's been a long road. It's been a long journey. I started out over 20 years ago in the field of social work. And I remember going to grad school and I remember learning about different psychological theories case management, 
and some clinical for therapy and, you know, how to just interact with people, how to communicate with people, how to listen. And I remember 20 plus years ago, you know, there wasn't a lot talked about the word trauma. Um, and I think that's really because we didn't know then what we know now. And it really seems that medicine has evolved so much. Education has evolved so much. And now people are interested in learning and studying the human brain, and most importantly, our autonomic nervous system. And you're going to hear me talking a lot about the autonomic nervous system, or sometimes I'll just refer to it as our nervous system, because really it is the highway of communication from our brain to um, our bodies. And it really factors in to how we adapt and respond and experience traumatic events in our life. And so I think 20 years ago, there really just wasn't a lot of research or knowledge about trauma and what a lot of people talk about today, PTSD. Um, and in fact, I think we used to think that only people who had been to war could actually experience PTSD, excuse me, PTSD. And now what we're learning is that anyone can experience a traumatic event and based on their nervous system's reaction and their body's reaction to that event, you know, people can develop PTSD just ordinary, everyday people, not just individuals who experience horrific things like war. Now, let me also say that when people experience war, absolutely, PTSD can occur. Um, and I will be the first one to say that I don't work with a lot of individuals who have experienced war. Um, I do have other colleagues in my community who I know work with vets um, or work with refugees who have experienced war. And um, that's a whole different level of trauma than the kind of trauma I work with. So in my role at New Beginnings um, as a trauma therapist, I work with individuals who have experienced sexual trauma. And so what that means is I work with individuals who have experienced sexual abuse, um, either as children um, or as teenagers or as adults. Um, sometimes we just call it sexual violence. Um, mainstream media essentially refers to um, all kinds of sexual harm as either rape or sexual abuse. And definitely um, rape is a form of sexual trauma, sexual harm. And so those are the individuals that I work with at New Beginnings. That's a common thread um, that each person who walks through our doors has is sexual trauma. And when I first started and became a therapist um, about four years ago, 
I said, I'd been a social worker for over 20 years and I've worked in a, oh my goodness, so many different roles and I have experienced my own secondary trauma as being a social worker. Um, I had a little bit of knowledge about what trauma was and that was just scraping the tip of the iceberg. And over the last four years, I've really made it my mission to dedicate myself to really dive deep and learn all I can about trauma so that not only can I do my own work and I can heal my own lived trauma, I can also help others. Um, and that's really important, you know, to begin to understand what trauma is, is that we all inherently experience traumatic events and we all experience those traumatic events differently. And so that's why like four people in one car wreck can have four different experiences. Um, I recently saw something floating around on Facebook world where it was talking about the pandemic and, you know, the very beginning of the pandemic, the phrase was, we're all in this together and we're all experiencing the same thing. Uh, we're all in the same boat. And I'm sure maybe you've even said those words yourselves. Um, I know I have in the past. I said, Oh my gosh, we're all in this boat together. And then I stopped to think, and I was like, after a couple of weeks into this pandemic, in the own trauma I was experiencing from being involved in a disconnection from my family, from my friends, from my clients, you know, that physical disconnection, I began to realize, gosh, I mean, we all might be in the same storm, but what I'm experiencing is vastly different from what my coworkers are experiencing from what my family members are experiencing, from what my clients are experiencing, because our trauma is interpreted differently because we all have different kinds of nervous systems within our own bodies. And so when I saw this, this meme floating around Facebook that said, we're all in this together and we all have a boat, but some of us might have a yacht some of us might have a speedboat. Some of us might have a tugboat. Some of us might have a carnival ocean cruiser. And then some of us might just have like a raft. And you know, that, that really, that really spoke to me. And I sat there and I read that several times. And I just let that sit with me. And I thought, you know... Yes, yes, the trauma that we are all experiencing collectively is something that is unlikely to perhaps ever occur again in my lifetime. And to understand that we all have a lived trauma However, we've all experienced it differently. We've all had different economic means of experiencing this trauma. 
So when I say the economic means of experiencing this trauma, what I mean is my economic experience during the last nine months is going to be vastly different from another person's. I've been very fortunate that I've been able to continue my job and I've been able to continue to do therapy with my clients while it's not ideal, while it's not what I would like or prefer. Um, it is the best of an um, uncertain situation. So my economic ability to survive this trauma has not been hindered. Now let's look at perhaps an individual who was working a job prior to the pandemic and then they lost their job because as we know, the first three months, many things just kind of shut down as a means of trying to understand what was happening as a means of trying to prepare for what was coming for the winter time as a means of just trying to gather data and try to keep people safe and alive. Um, and all of that is noble and still that was very traumatizing to many people to lose their jobs. And so when you take away economic stability and you throw in a little spiciness of a world pandemic, the trauma that that person is going to experience in their nervous system is going to be vastly different than the trauma I'm experiencing. And so I think, too, while at the beginning of this pandemic, um, you know, I did several videos about grief and loss and compassion and meditations for our Facebook page, it really struck me that if any time in our history where there was a time for compassion and grace and leeway, that this was that time. And I know I say this a lot. I probably say this at least once a day. I'm sure my coworkers are like, oh my God, there she goes saying that again. But it's true. You know, when we sit here and we think about we're doing the best that we can and that's good enough, that has a lot of healing power in that thought and in those words. And I know that even when I'm having a not so good day and I feel like the world is just weighing on my shoulders, I try my best when engaging with people in public and with my family to just take some deep breaths and understand that they are doing the best they can during this very traumatizing time because I know, gosh darn it, I'm doing the best I can. And trauma has a way of dysregulating our bodies. Trauma has a way of dysregulating our emotions, our thoughts, even down to the cellular DNA level. Trauma causes stress. Stress induces inflammation within the body. Inflammation is like 
the most unhelpful thing that can occur inside your body because inflammation can damage many, many things. And so I think right now we're all in a state of inflammation inside in our cellular DNA and also just on the outside. Um, it's been a very trying time historically for us, socially for us. We've had to adapt and we've had to change and we have had to embrace the suck, as Brene Brown would say. And we've had to find ways to manage our trauma. And so when I say we've had to find ways, what I'm also talking about, we've had to find ways of coping. Um, and I'm smiling as I say that word coping because I think about some of the kiddos that I've been working with during this pandemic. And I think about how they have coped so well as compared to myself um, and what I've experienced in the last nine months. And I talk a lot about coping skills. I would say probably every single session with every single person that I meet, I talk about coping skills. I teach coping skills. I educate about why coping is so important. Um, I educate about our nervous system. I educate about how trauma really just is like taking a snow globe and turning it upside down and just shaking um, our bodies because it really does affect everything inside of us. Um, and so when I think about coping, I think about just exactly how much coping we have all had to do over the last nine months, maybe more than ever in our lifetimes. And then I think about those times where we haven't coped at all. Um, and, you know, how our response to whatever is going on in that moment might not be our best response. But still in that moment, I tell myself, I'm doing the best I can. I don't think I've ever told myself those words more than in the last nine months. And, you know, something funny um, happens. The more I say those types of things, the more I really start to believe. And I'm like, huh, would you look at that? Maybe there really is some power in words, right? Um, and so knowing that we're doing the best we can, doing the best that we can, and extending that thought to others really is a helpful way to begin to cope with trauma. Um, trauma does not have to be some huge, horrific, awful, no good thing that happens to you. When I'm educating people about trauma, it's a way of normalizing and validating their experiences. So know that trauma is and can be many things. It can be the death of a loved one. It can be the loss of a relationship. It can be divorce. It can be 
medical illness. It can be a car wreck. It can be working in a toxic environment, living in a toxic environment. Trauma can be exposure to abuse and neglect. Trauma can be pollution. Trauma can be the food that we eat that is not nourishment for our bodies. Trauma can be just about anything. And when we begin to open our minds and our hearts to the possibility that trauma is more than just a horrific, awful thing, then I think we can begin to maybe extend our grace and compassion to others because we don't really know what someone is going through just by looking at them. We don't know how their nervous system is responding in this moment. When I talk about our nervous system, I'm talking about our fight, flight, freeze response. Um, And more recently here, um, people are talking about a fawn response. And that is so important in understanding trauma, is understanding how our nervous system responds to the trauma. And here's the kicker. We don't get a choice. Our brains and our bodies are so amazing. And they are just this beautiful thing to behold. And what we know is that when we go through a traumatic experience, we don't get to choose in that moment if we are going to run if we are going to fight, if we are going to freeze or fawn, we don't. Our brain makes that choice for us within nanoseconds. It interprets all of this data through all of our five senses and our brain makes the decision on what it needs to do to survive. And so Many times when I talk about and educate about the nervous system, I'll use the example of many individuals who have experienced sexual trauma talk about not being able to move or say or do anything while they are being harmed. And many times they think it's because They failed themselves. So when I educate and I'll explain that you didn't have a choice on what to do in that moment, your brain made that choice and your brain decided this is what we're going to do because right now we're under attack, we're under threat and we need to survive. And so how we're going to survive, we're going to freeze. Um, There's a really big fancy word for that response that's called tonic immobility. 
Um, I teach that word too, just because especially kids, they like to, to know, you know, big impressive words. So I'll say, go back and teach your parents about this or your caregivers or tell someone about this response. It's called tonic immobility because every human being experiences all of those different responses based upon how their brain interprets. And so knowing that when sexual trauma occurs, that we don't have a choice in how we respond, that begins to normalize and that begins to have grace and compassion towards self. So knowing that our brains and our nervous systems take over and allow us to survive, that's, that's beginning the healing journey. That's beginning the destigmatization of our experiences. And so one of the most important things that I do as a trauma therapist is education. In fact, I would dare say I spend 75% um, educating and giving knowledge and giving thoughts and opportunities to explore with a client just how much trauma can affect your body and the trauma response. And for many, that can just be life-changing just to understand that the way I'm responding, the way I am speaking, the way I am acting is normal. Um, and I use that word, if you could see me, I have it in air quotes, you know, because what is normal, right? We all said that. What the heck is normal? I don't know. Um, but I use that word with air quotes in, in therapy. Um, but it is a way just to validate somebody's experience and somebody's lived trauma. And to have them understand that our nervous system takes over during a traumatic event and its goal is to allow our bodies to survive. And so when we think about trauma, I don't want to just be all doom and gloom um, because there is hope, there is healing, there is the possibility of life being different than what someone is currently experiencing after surviving a traumatic event. And that word is called resiliency. And I'm sure you've heard this before. Um, there's a new word on the streets and it's called grit. And resiliency and grit go hand in hand. Um, those two words encompass characteristics that really allow an individual to move from victim to survivor. And it really is a beautiful moment, um, a very sacred moment in the therapeutic relationship with a client when you see them take in and take hold 
of that which is a survivor, which is encompassing everything into one and understanding that the healing journey has begun. There is like this, trying to describe it, um, this flash of light within the eyes. There is a posturing of the body. There is a recognition deep within someone's soul in that exact moment where I think the body and the mind and the spirit come together in one and converge on this concept of surviving and being a survivor. And like I said, that is just one of the most beautiful things to see and experience and to be a part of. And it truly is a sacred moment and it truly is very much um, a beautiful experience. And that occurs through education, acceptance, understanding, compassion, and love. And that's when you really see resiliency and grit start to form and you see this birth of, um, of what some people will sometimes say, I just I feel like I'm a new person. Um, I feel like I'm going to be okay. And that moves into, I am okay. Even if this situation is not okay, I am okay. And it's stages and it's, it's levels. And it is a true metamorphosis of coming into one's own most authentic self. And that happens through resiliency. And, you know, resiliency is not something that you're just born with. It has to be cultivated. It has to be cultured. Resiliency has to be grown. You must teach your children how to be resilient. Um, and the way that we teach resiliency, the way I teach resiliency, and Trust me when I say this, anyone can learn to be resilient at any age, whether you're three or whether you're 103, you can learn resiliency. The way I teach it is by learning healthy coping skills. Oh, there's that word again, coping skills. Um, and it's the truth. We learn how to be resilient by learning how to adapt and overcome and cope with difficult situations, people, difficult times in our life. And if you think back to a particularly difficult time period in your life, or you think back to something oh, that was just really difficult to go through, 
I would dare say that each of us would have ways of coping. You know, we have healthy coping skills and we have unhealthy coping skills. They're both ways of coping. It's just one perhaps is more gentle and more kind and loving than the other. But when we learn how to cope in healthy ways with those disappointments, with those things that make us afraid, with those things that cause uncertainty, that's when we build our resiliency tank. And the more times that we cope with difficult things and we cope well, the more our nervous system responds in a very kind and loving and gentle way. And, you know, there's this, this word called neuroplasticity, which means that our brain is ever changing and it's really malleable and flexible. And with each experience, our brain is learning, ah, if I cope this way, here's the outcome. Versus if I cope this other way, here's the outcome. So the more healthy options we choose, the more our brain learns how to adapt and how to overcome. And that is the key, I think, to being able to live um, life. All of us experience disappointments. All of us experience tragedy. All of us experience sadness and fear and uncertainty. I would dare say that if someone would say, I've never experienced that, well, I would think they have, especially in the last nine months. Because what more important time period than living through a pandemic when we all experience those things? And so what better time to begin to build our resiliency toolbox to really learn healthy ways of coping so that we can survive and move forward in life and in our healing. And so some coping skills that I like to teach people, um, which I teach a whole bunch, but you know, I got my faves. Um, I got the ones I'm kind of, you know, really in love with and they really work. And these are not just like coping skills, you know, that I've read off the internet, which trust me, I have, and those are very helpful too. But the ones that I really start with, with everyone who walks through the door and into my therapy space are ones that really affect your nervous system and have a positive change on your nervous system. Um, because what we know is when we go through a traumatic event, our nervous system gets dysregulated. And so we kind of stay stuck in this sympathetic response of fight or flight. Um, and that's not healthy to be stuck there. And so we have to learn how to regulate our nervous system so we can move in and out of the sympathetic and then the parasympathetic response. 
And the parasympathetic response is what in nursing school we learned as the rest and digest. Or I'll say it's just the calm and peaceful and relaxed state of our bodies. And so, you know, the goal in life is not to just stay in the parasympathetic, because that's not doable. But the goal is to bring our nervous system back to a more balanced, harmonious state. And so we do that through some ways of coping that are loving and kind to our nervous system. So the first thing I teach is deep breathing. I will sometimes call this intentional breathing because it's not just normal breathing. It is very intentional. I like to teach the four, seven, eight breath, and you can Google that. It's really easy. I also like to teach Wim Hof breathing. That's W-I-M-H-O-F-F. You can YouTube that as well or Google. I also begin to talk about how we are born with innate ways of calming our bodies and our minds and our nervous systems. And that is through rocking or swinging. So I'll teach people how to rock, either if they have a rocking chair or rock in a stationary chair or rock in the bed as a way of soothing and calming. Uh, swinging is also really a great way. So if you have a, a porch swing or a swing set or you go to the park and swing, that's a beautiful way of helping your nervous system to begin to regulate. I also teach the five and five deep breathing, um, and that's really simple as well. You can Google or YouTube that. That's just breathing in through your nose for the count of five and then exhaling through your mouth like you're going to blow out a birthday candle for the count of five. And I think if there are any parents who are listening, um, that's one of the best ways to begin with young children is to teach them how to begin to calm themselves through deep breathing, through rocking, through swinging. And the way that you help your child, um, whether that's starting off as a young or maybe you're just now hearing this, you're like, oh my gosh, I need to begin this is you co-regulate with them. And so co-regulation of nervous systems is really important. It's where you match your deep breaths with theirs. Um, you can even, you know, take your child's hand and place that on your belly or place that on your chest. And they can feel the rise of the belly and the chest when you're deep breathing. And then their nervous system begins to match yours because yours should be in a calm state, right? And it's teaching them ways of self-soothing. So they're learning how to balance their nervous system. Now, these are just some things that, like I said, are the tip of the iceberg for learning how to cope with um disappointments in life or situations. These are very small coping skills, but they are very, very mighty and they work. 
And it's, it's a beautiful thing to experience and to be a part of when a client begins to utilize coping skills and their bodies begin to become more regulated and their nervous system becomes more regulated and they begin to actually physically feel better is their word. And so um, it really is. It's just, it's amazing. And it takes practice and it takes courage to do something different that perhaps you've never done before. And know that it's okay. It's okay to learn. It's okay to grow. It's okay to change. It's okay to try something new, even though it might be really, really scary. That's how we keep our nervous systems healthy and our brains happy. And that's how we grow and change and become our best self. So in closing, I want to leave you with the possibility that things can be different. I want to leave you with hope. I want to leave you with peace and joy and laughter and the knowledge that you are not alone. There are many here who are willing and able to help you on your journey. And while it might be scary to ask for help, that's the first step. And so understanding that you have all of the power within to begin to choose something different. And when we have choices and when we have options and education about those choices, we begin to really understand that we have this power within us, this bright shining light um, that cannot be extinguished by anything or anyone. So that's what I'd like to leave you with today. And I want to say thank you for um, being here and being a part of this. And I am super excited for you to continue on this journey with me in this role of doing something creative and new and scary and always learning. So thank you. And I hope that you have a most beautiful day and I really hope you begin to learn and grow and research the different coping skills that I talked a little bit about here today and find your own as well. Find what works for you. You know, you are a unique, beautiful, brave, courageous, phenomenal human being and there is no one like you in this world. No one. And that is a beautiful thing. Well, we made it to the end of our episode. We want to thank you for listening. We also want to thank VOCA for funding our podcast. 
VOCA stands for Victims of Crime Act. This project was supported by grant number VOCA 2020 Green River 00026 awarded through the Kentucky Justice and Public Safety Cabinet by the United States Department of Justice. The opinions, findings, conclusions, and recommendations expressed in this publication, program, exhibition are those of the authors and do not necessarily reflect the views of the Kentucky Justice and Public Safety Cabinet or the U.S. Department of Justice. We also want to give a big shout out and a thank you to Seth Hedges of Uriah Wild Media. He is the amazing individual who created the beautiful music for our podcast. We thank you so much, Seth. I'm going to encourage you to go check out his stuff. He's pretty talented and awesome. You can find him at www.uriahwild.com. That's www.uriahwild.com. And finally, we want to give a really special shout out to Rodney Newton for being our amazing technical advisor. He has spent several Saturdays and days throughout the week to help us get this podcast up and going. Rodney, you are our captain. And finally, we hope that you'll take something you heard today and change the world tomorrow. Join us next time on Start By Listening. And as always, please remember that New Beginnings is here for you to listen or help 24 hours a day. Just give us a call, 1-800-226-7273.